speed for just a moment. We were here last week and we're only able to get a couple of verses into it because Paul is addressing some things that have been sent his way. Paul was one who his entire life he wanted to be used after he got saved. He wanted to, to be used the rest of his life to, 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 to do a great work for the Lord. And as he is traveling to different parts, he begins to minister to people. And all of a sudden, he begins to encounter some people who begin to question his, his intentions, who begin to, to question his, uh, his work, uh, begin to question what, what was really taking place. And so Paul puts a stop to it right away in chapter number 2 of 1 Thessalonians and says, hold up for just a moment. These things that are being talked about, these things that are being said, let's just get down to it. Let's just really get to the bottom of it and address these things right off the bat. And so in chapter number 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, for yourselves, brethren, verse number 1, Know our entrance in unto you. That it was not in vain. We dealt with this last week, but we do want to, to give a little bit of, of, of information to you before we get right back into it. Paul begins to acknowledge the entrance in which he approached all of this. He says, hold up for just a moment. If all these things that are being said about me and being said about those who ministered with me are true, then let's just start with the fact that you saw us. You were the ones that we were ministering unto. You were the ones that you knew we, as, as we entered into the city, as we entered into and we began to, to share the word of God with you, you were the ones who were saying, hey, we're hearing the message. We're gathering all the information. We understand how you approached everything. And so Paul begins to address this because he wants them to understand what a thriving, what a fruitful ministry looks like. And can I share with you, as we approached it last week, every single one of us have the opportunity to have an effective personal ministry. You think, and many people begin to think about this and might even say this, oh, they're called to ministry. No, if you're a child of God, you have a personal ministry. You have a personal ministry that starts in the home. You have a personal ministry in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your friends, in your relationships. In all the world, you begin to find these personal relationships. Now you have a, a corporate ministry as well, which is the local church is what we're talking about, where we begin to serve the Lord together. But outside of the church, you have a personal ministry. Paul begins to, to illustrate this and help us understand what this really looks like. And as you begin to ask yourself this question, what does your personal ministry look like? What is it? What does your life look like? If you were to, to really summarize these things, what do people begin to see? Do people look at you and say, man, this is a person who, who uh, is not called to full-time ministry. We understand that, but man, they live the Christian life. They love the Lord. They, they understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a child of God, what it means to really go beyond what is, is found in just the, the local church serving. Man, they serve outside the church. They, they try to minister to people every time they're talking to people and they're trying to be used of God. And this is a, a personal ministry to them. You think about your home. You think about that workplace. You think about other places. Paul begins as he deals with the personal entrance that he walked into. We dealt with this a little bit last week, but 22 hours a week, a study showed in 2018, are wasted, as you think about that, on the average person. 22 hours a week. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question, how many, how many hours do we waste a week? Well, if you have an iPhone, your iPhone has been so kind to let you know now how much time is truly wasted. Uh, iPhone has come out. It might have been all across the board, all phones. But on, on Sundays, I know I get it every Sunday, and it's just a gentle reminder from the Lord, hey, this is how much time you waste before you get up and stand and preach. Uh, but it's a little reminder, and it, it just kind of shows you the summary of your usage that week. And, and it'll, it'll say something like, your usage time was down two hours, your usage time was up two hours, your usage, you know, it'll say something like that. 
And as you ask yourself that question, how much time do I truly waste a week that I could be using for the Lord? And Paul begins to help us understand that Paul, as you go and you study his life out, he didn't have time to waste and there was nothing that he could waste time on. Paul was busy about one thing, sharing the gospel. Paul didn't have time to waste because he understood the importance of one soul and the value of one ministry opportunity and the open doors and all those things. And so he was revealing to them, hey, my entrance, you saw it, but understand this, we didn't waste time. Now later on in this chapter here, we're going to address it, but Paul begins to reveal to us that night and day they were working. Night and day. And as you think about that in your own life, as you think about the goals that you set and the the ambitions that you have concerning the work of the Lord, what are you accomplishing for God? And you think about that in your own personal life, what your personal ministry. Paul begins to help us understand this as you go and you study his life. He illustrated three things throughout his entire ministry. The first one was this, wake up. He said it. Look, it's time to wake up as a Christian. It's time not to just sit back and to to allow all these things to take place and not to do something about it. But hey, Christian, it's time to wake up and take a stand for God. Not only did he say wake up, but he also illustrated the point of clean up. It's time to live a a pure and a a righteous lifestyle. Not one that is okay with living in sin. Not one that is, is also satisfied by sin. But no, clean up your life and do something for God. Then he also illustrated another point, not only wake up and clean up, but also grow up. We dealt with this a little bit last week, but God's intention for the Christian life was never for you just to live off of the milk. As children grow and they transition from milk to, to the baby food, then to the real stuff, you begin to think about the Christian life as well. God desires that we would transition from that milk to the meat, the meat of God's word. And as you begin to transition, you begin to understand all that God could have for you. And so so this morning you say, well, what is God's uh, intention for my life? Well, His intention is to get all that He could get out of your life so He could use it for His glory. Grow up. You know, you think about that, and we've talked about that, and that's one of the most uh, uh, um, humbling statements to hear from somebody, isn't it? If I were to look at Jonathan right now, and Jonathan's doing something immature, and I were to look at him and say, dude, just grow up, uh, he'd be a little offended by that. He'd be like, I cannot believe he told me to grow up. I am growing up. I'm 16 years old. You're 15 or 16? Oh, you're 15 years old. 16's coming. <laughs> grow up, man. But you think about that. People come up to you and whatever you're doing, if you're living a certain way, and some, if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, it's time to grow up, I mean, you're going to get offended. You're going to say, how dare you? But can I share with you, God desires that as Christians we would grow up. It's time as the children of God that we would take the seriousness of the Christian life and understand that God's intention is that, hey, we would flourish. God never intended for you to live a a mediocre Christian life. Matter of fact, he doesn't get glory for a mediocre life. He gets glory whenever somebody is all in all for God and and, and God is changing that life steadily and they're walking with the Lord. But God isn't able to get glory if you're living in sin. He doesn't glory in sin. So why would he want the glory of sin? Grow up. You think about that. Paul's message and Paul's message throughout his entire ministry was, hey, it's time to do something for God. And Paul was one that didn't just say it, he also lived it. But in verse number 2, we see Paul's enemies. Not only his entrance, but we're catching you up here. We dealt with this last week, his enemies. Can I share with you, if you ever want to do something great for God, just expect the enemy to come. It's going to happen. 
You're going to face some troubles. You're going to face some times whenever it wasn't very fun. In verse number 2, the word suffer is used. And as you think about this right here, but even after that we had suffered... That word suffered, as you think about this, it speaks of one as a result of outside forces or circumstances, whether physically, mentally, financially, emotionally. Uh, it's an inconvenience to you. It's to, 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 to vex, if you would. It's not something that's pleasant in, in, in its circumstances. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 2, it says, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, it was, it was uh, J. Oswald Chambers who made this statement. He said, if you're going to be used by God, He will take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to take you through to make you useful in His hands. And you think about that. What is God right this very moment taking you through that's not meant for you? Matter of fact, it's meant so that He can bring you through it and it's useful in His hands. It's something that He's bringing you through so that He can say, hey... This wasn't intended for you, but I brought you through it so that I could use you through that. I have people you need to minister to. I have a people you need to reach. I have a situation I'm going to take you through that God's going to use you through that because of the experience you face right here. Just just hold on. You see, that's the importance of us understanding that we don't need to get mad at God over our circumstances. God always has a reason in allowing certain things to take place. You might not understand it right now, but there's coming a time when you will. And so Paul is getting these people to understand all of this in the first couple of verses that, hey, my entrance, you saw it. You experienced I came to you, and so you can speak to these things. But not only that, the enemy was present. These that are speaking, enemy. These that are slandering, enemies. These that are trying to, to ridicule the, the work of God and, and try to disrupt the work of God, enemies. He goes on in verse number 2 and says... Uh, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak much or to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. That word, much contention, as you understand right here, it's speaking of a sports term here, and the pain. Now we don't have time to elaborate on all these things today again, but it's speaking of that that pain as you think about an activity. We were over at the, the building or the, the property yesterday and we were dragging all of these limbs and even Brother Austin said we're all going to walk into church like this the next day because of all the, the labor that was outside and everything. And I don't see anyone like that, so we must not have worked too hard. But uh, <clears throat> you ever had someone say that to you? My dad, my stepdad used to say that all the time. We'd come home from a, a workout or something and, and we would be talking about how he said, you're not dead yet, so you must not have worked hard enough. You know, you think about that. You weren't there. Hush. You know? But you think about that sports term of agony and that pain. Paul, Paul says, hey, we had to endure some things. And there, were some, there was much contention. So all of that dealt with last week, catching up, us up to verse number 3. And I love verse number 3 because Paul gets right to it. Paul is, is one who did not shy away, not only for, from speaking the truth and love, but also from just saying what needed to be said. Uh, sometimes Paul just would say it in a certain way, and it was, it was so blunt, but also at the same time it was so received that, that people understood that, okay, Paul has just crossed the line from, from he was trying to get a point across and we weren't catching it to, okay, you're going to catch it now. You know, it's kind of like that parent who's trying to, to get that child to understand they need to stop, and, and the mama or daddy says, hey, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. All right, that's enough. You know, that, that kind of, you know, stop it. That's what Paul's about to get into. Notice what he says. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. 
It's an amazing thing because Paul here goes on and begins to describe those who are with him and himself as they were ministering to the people in Thessalonica. But also what he does is he gets the people to understand that in verses 1 and 2, he came to minister to them. But in verse number 4, he says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Hey, in verse number 1 and 2, hey, we came to you. You are the ones that that can uh, help us understand these things that are being said about these slanders. They're not true. They're not accurate. We came to you, and this is what we did, and, and this is how it went wrong, and the enemy was right here. But not only did we come to you, we didn't come there because of you. God sent us. God said, hey, we didn't come to get these these pats on the back from you. We didn't come to to let you say, hey, what a great person Paul is. That's not why we came. We came because God enabled us and allowed us the opportunity to do so. And so he's saying this, hey, we came to you, but can I share with you, don't be so foolish to think it's all about you. It's all about him. He says in verse number four right here, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with man, what a powerful statement that is. To be entrusted with the gospel. In verse number 3, he makes this statement and we find Paul's exhortation. Number 3, Paul's exhortation. One of the things we see in verse number 3 is he uses these words, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Now, I want you to understand these words. The word exhortation speaks of comfort, admonition, encouragement. The word deceit speaks of wandering from the right way, Error or fraud. The word uncleanness, as he says right here in verse number 3, nor deceit, uncleanness, or guile. As he uses this statement of uncleanness, it speaks of uh, physically unclean. It speaks of one that is impure, of lustful, impure motives. The word guile speaks of uh, bait, craftiness, stealth, fraud, or craft. And so all of these things are being said about Paul. But Paul helps us understand, as he says in verse number 3, for our exhortation was none of these things. He states two things. Number one, he was real. He was genuine. He was authentic. Jaden, come here for just a moment. Can I share with you? You can tell what, what, when someone's being real and when someone's not. Okay? If, if, let's just say me and, me and Jaden hadn't seen each other in, oh man, uh, let's just say two years. We'd had some contact. You can tell this is what authentic looks like. If I were to come up to him and I were to do this right here, give me, I mean, come on now, man. We ain't seen each other. And I were to give him a hug. All right? We haven't seen each other. I mean, and we, and we just stand there and we talk. And, and, and I'm, I'm having a conversation with him the whole time. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with him the whole time. I mean, we're, 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 we're check, you know, checking on the family, checking on what's going on. This is what whenever something is, is, is not necessarily real, not necessarily genuine looks like, okay? If I were to see him, I were to see him... What's going on, Jaden? And, and he's talking to me, and he's steady talking to me, and I'm doing this right here. Not paying him any attention. Not genuine. Not, and he's sitting there, I mean, just pouring out his heart. And he's saying this and saying that, and I'm just, just doing this. And then I pull one of these right here. Just a second. And then I come back to, did you say something? Yeah. Not genuine at all. Not real. But Paul, he poured his life out. If you read verses 5 on down, Paul says, oh, no, not only did we come to you, and it wasn't in deceit, it wasn't something that was fake, it wasn't something that was, we were trying to get something out of you, we labored night and day. So we wouldn't even be a burden to you. We were trying to do these things, and, and it was genuine. We, were, we truly cared for you. You can be seated. He was real. I don't know about you, 
But when it comes to people, I like people that are real. I like people that are genuine. I like people that, that you know, truly and genuinely care about me or care to talk. And, uh, you know, this, the, the, I can tell when a conversation is, if someone's talking to me and they don't really have any conversation, and I can tell pretty quick and I just cut it off. All right, man, well, i got to go. I'll see, you know, if they're not interested, that's fine. And some people are extremely busy. I don't fault them at all. But Paul, as he goes on in this entire chapter, and also in the entire ministry of Paul, Paul labored for people. He labored because he cared. He labored for God and, and tried to reach these people. And he lets them know none of these things that are being said, we were real. We were genuine. We cared for you. Notice what it says right here in verse number 13. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, when you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe it. Verse number 17, the Bible says this, But we, brethren, being taken from you a short, uh, for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. And he says, hey, we wanted to see you. We were genuine. We desired to see you. Verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul says, hey, these things that are, this exhortation I'm passing to you, just know this, we were real. We, we cared for you. We loved you. We tried to minister unto you. And I don't know about you, but if you have people in your life who truly and genuinely care for you, thank God for them. You know, you'll only find, and you've heard this before, but if you have one true friend, you are a blessed person. And you think about that, the importance of that, and people who are real, people who are genuine, not only that, he says this, as he goes on in verse number 4, he says, But we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, uh, we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. He is making a point here. Not only was he real and genuine, if you were to say it that way, but he was righteous. Uh, Paul, later on, is going to use an expression that helps us understand that he says, Prove it. Not only prove it, but Lord, you prove me. And in verse number 4, he makes this statement right here, as he says in verse number 4 at the very end, which trieth our hearts. God, you know. Lord, you know the deceit. You know if there's any uncleanness. Lord, you know if there's any filthiness here. Try it. Paul says, no. We came unto you and we were real. We cared for you. We loved you. Not only that, we were righteous. We lived for the Lord. We wanted to do something for God. We gave you what would be an example and so as he uses this statement, Paul was clear that he didn't un influence others to live that way. In verse number 3, that word uncleanness, it speaks of, once again, physically unclean. It speaks of impure motives. It speaks of lustful motives. And they were saying that Paul was trying to use his influence to, to encourage people to sin and to, to live in a lustful way and to do all these things. He says, that doesn't match up to any other form of my ministry. You go to any of the other churches that I've come to, you go to any of the other ministries that have been started, you go to any other people, you won't find that as a testimony. Because it's not real. It's not genuine. It's not who I am. He says, I was righteous. We were trying to do a great work. And so as you think about those words that Paul was revealing to them, he had the right intentions. He had a goal in mind, and that goal was to establish what God had sent him there to establish, to share the Word of God. In verse number 13, that's why he says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Because when he received the Word of God, which he heard of us, he received it not as the Word of men. Hey, you didn't receive it as Paul said this. 
You didn't receive it as, hey, listen to what Paul said. No, no, you received it. Notice what he says here. You received it not as word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Can I share with you, as I shared in our Sunday school class, you don't need a word from the preacher this morning. We need a word from the Lord. That's what we need. When you step into the church, you don't need the preacher to give you some financial advice on what this, you need a word from the Lord. You don't need the, the, the preacher to tell you oh, what you need to do here, what you need to do there, how you need to do this. No, you need the preacher to stand and just proclaim, thus saith the word of God. And that's exactly what Paul had done. And not only did he do it, but they received it. And, and Paul making the statement that they received it helps them to see that, hey, what I was sent there to do, I did. And you received it as the word of God. Yet all of a sudden the enemy's trying to switch it and slander our name. He's trying to say this happened and that happened. But let me go back to verse number one. You were there. You saw it. You can testify. We could put you in front of all of them and you could say, no, Paul and his, his group had come there and this is what had taken place. Number four, we see this, Paul's examination. In verse number four, he says, But as we were allowed to God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. There that is again. Lord, try it. Lord, you know. Prove this. Verse number 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. As an individual who has a personal ministry, you must ask yourself this question. What is my motive? What is my goal? We had this discussion in the Sunday school class. Christ is obviously the end goal, but what is the goal? See it from a heavenly perspective. God, what do you have for us? Paul understood in verse number five, 4, 5, and 6 that as they were sent, they weren't sent there to get a pat on the back. They were sent there to deliver a message. And as you think about this, this word allowed that you find in verse number 4, it speaks of, uh, it's rich in meaning, honestly. It speaks of examining. It speaks of proving or testing. They were allowed to do this. They were proved to do this. They were examined to do this, if you would. And in multiple times in, in Scripture that you find the, the life of David, David uses this same idea of, Lord, prove. Lord, the enemy is saying this. They're trying to do this. Lord, you prove it. And so here in this portion of Scripture, Paul is using that exact same statement as he says right here, that they were allowed of God to be put in trust with it. They were examined. Paul understood that, hey, God had examined us. God had proved us. God had trusted us to do this. They didn't come there seeking that man would pat them on the back or man would approve. Matter of fact, I don't think you'll find anywhere in Paul's ministry where he was seeking man's approval over God's. Multiple times in Paul's ministry, he is very clear that, in in a nutshell, he doesn't care what man thinks as long as God approves. And can I share with you, we're living in a day and hour, we're living in a world where far too many individuals are trying to seek the approval of man for the sake of the approval of God. We're trading in. We're trading, God, you know what, it's been nice trying to live for you, but you know what, I think so-and-so would be a little bit happier if I did it this way, so I'm going to please them instead of you. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves asking and questioning and saying, why am I miserable, why is this not working? It's because you've forsaken God. It's because you traded in pleasing God for pleasing man. And there's a pitfall there. Can I share with you, when we leave, live to please man and not God, there are some things that take place. And number one, we prioritize man and not God. You begin to prioritize what man thinks. You're no longer in the Word of God because who needs the Word of God when you're just trying to please man? 
And not only do you prioritize man over God, but you also place man first over God. And the Bible is specific, and we find in the book of Colossians that it says that he desires preeminence in our lives. That word preeminence means that we're forsaking all at the cost of just giving it to him. Paul understood that he needed to die daily and understand that it wasn't about him, it wasn't about man, it was all about God. And so we begin to prioritize man over God is when this starts to take place. It promotes compromise. It speaks of poor leadership. You say, what are you talking about? It speaks of, you're wanting to please us. How is that poor? Because I'm not pleasing him any longer. If I can't follow God, why would you follow me? If your husband is unwilling to follow God, why, how, how can you expect him to lead the home? You begin to begin to speak of poor leadership and all of a sudden you begin to cave and you begin to compromise and all of these many things. We don't follow God, we're following man. It promotes comparison. You know, comparison is one of the thieves of joy. You begin to question, you begin to compare, you know, they have this and we don't have this, they must be better than none. No, that's not, God just didn't intend for you to have that. You know, God's intentions... It's hard to wrap our minds around what God is able to do. That's why it's so important for us to yield our lives to Him. God can do much with a yielded life. It promotes not only comparison, but it begins to focus on man's will and not God's will. Bad choices follow. A desire to walk with man more than God. Uh, An I've arrived mentality begins to take form and a teachable spirit begins to fade. Replacement of God's wisdom for man's foolishness begins to set in. Prayer is neglected and prayer is no longer answered because prayer is no longer offered. All of those things begin to take place when we begin to prioritize man over God. Can I share with you, if you want to have a burden for people, get right with God, get close to God, and God will give you that burden for people. You love God like you're supposed to, you'll love your spouse like you're supposed to. You love God like you're supposed to, you'll love mankind like you're supposed to. You love God like you're supposed to, you'll want to serve Him like you're supposed to. You love God like you're supposed to, you'll see that person in the store and you'll say, you know what, I care for their soul like you're supposed to. But if you don't love God like you're supposed to, how can you think that you're able to love others like you're supposed to? Your love is misprioritized. You're you're, you're compromising that. Paul says, hold up. When we came here, We came, and God is our witness. We didn't come seeking glory. We didn't come, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But in verse number 7, we see this, Paul's example. Paul's example. He says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. We We gave more to you. Because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. We see Paul's example here. The word gentle means mild-mannered, calm, kind, easy, temperate. Cherish it speaks of to warm. The word in part speaks of to share, to give to someone something which has been has purpose and value. The word willing speaks of to be well pleased with or to take pleasure. Paul says, hey, all of these things we did for you. And as a matter of fact, we did them in such a way where we didn't want to to be a burden to you. We labored night and day so that you wouldn't have to be a burdensome and you wouldn't have to be someone who was was saying, man, Paul and them are here, but man, they're, they're really in the way. No, we were laboring unto you trying to give to you what God had sent us to do. 
Paul says, so all these things that are being spoken of, they're not adding up. Can I share with you? And I'm almost done. There are going to be people, whenever you try to do something great for God, they're going to start to come out of the woodworks. I mean, you won't have heard from them for two years, three years, whatever the case might be. There might be some people who are close to you. There might be family members. And you're trying to live for the Lord, and they're going to try to discourage you. They're going to say things about you. And you're going to be tempted to believe those things because words definitely hurt. Anyone who says words don't hurt, I mean, they hurt. Some people can roll past them a little bit quicker than others, but they hurt. And the thing that you have to do in your own personal life is what Paul is doing here. He begins to step back and he begins to evaluate. He says, okay, let's start right from the beginning. We entered unto you. Share your side. What did you see? Okay. The enemy was there. The enemy was speaking. The enemy wants to hinder the work of God. The enemy wants to do this. But let me stop you for just a moment. We came unto you and we began to deliver this message and we began to, to minister unto you and we didn't do it with guile. We didn't do it with deceit. We didn't do it with uncleanness. None of those things speak of not only what we did there, but they don't even speak of the testimony of our ministry. And so right now the enemy has said these things. They're 0 for 2. And we came unto you and as we come unto you, we come unto you because God sent us, not because of you. We didn't need a pat on the back. We didn't need you to say, good job, Paul, good job, ministers, and all of these things. We came just because God had sent us to. God saw us worthy to do so. So now that they're 0 for 3, it wasn't about selfish motives. And so he begins to step back and he begins to say, hold up. I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let the enemy discourage not only me, but discourage the work of God from continuing forward. Can I share with you, if you allow the words of the enemy to take root in your life, it'll stop you. You'll begin to believe it. Uh, man, I, I don't know how many times uh, you know things have been said, and, and I, I believed 100% that we were following the will of God, whether in our personal life or in the ministry, and somebody would try to discourage, and I'd just say, hey, I appreciate your input, but God, I'm telling you, God, God's in this. I've got peace. And there's going to be some times whenever you're going to have to take a step back and say, okay, let's do an evaluation. What's taking place here? I shared with you last week the one personal, true example and experience that I faced was just a couple of years ago whenever someone had sent me a text message and, and still to this day don't know who it is. I'm sure there's ways of figuring it out, but I don't even have the phone number or anything anymore. But said... You're a terrible pastor. Your church is the most unfriendly church. And all the while that I've been there, the church hasn't grown. The church hasn't done this. The church hasn't done that. And, 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 and you're doing a terrible job and all these things. I'll tell you what, I wanted to fight. If I wanted to disqualify my, my, myself, I was about to become a brawler. But I took a step back and I said, it's not adding up. They're saying God's not working. We just had three people saved. They're saying God's not working. We just had a couple families join. They're saying God's not working. God's just opened this door right here. They're saying God's not working, but this is taking place, and this is taking place, and this is taking place. And I'll tell you what, if I wanted to sulk, I could have sulked. I can't believe they said I was a terrible pastor. I can't believe they said our church was the most only friendly church. I could have sat there. I, I could have taken that. I said, hold up. It's not adding up. God's working here, 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 and here. A couple of years ago, 
I could have just said, you know what, this just isn't worth it any longer. But can I share with you, that's just a prime example. You faced it too. You've had people discourage you. You have people, whether send you a text message or say something to you, and it's just an attempt to discourage you from moving forward. Can I share with you, that's exactly what the devil wants to take place. Paul says, it's not going to work. Paul, in verses 9 and 10, he says, You are witnesses, in verse number 10, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. Paul begins to explain his effort here and what was taking place. And can I share with you, as we close here, if you want to be blameless and above all questioning and above all reproof, four things that you can do. Five, actually. Number one, fill your heart and mind with the Word of God. Number two, yield your life to the Holy Spirit. And number three, don't go to the places that involve sin that you know you shouldn't be as a child of God. Number four, live right with God and man. Hey, if, if you want to live right with man, live right with God first. You can't be right with man and wrong with God. And then the final thing is just live for the Lord. You want to, you, you want to live for the Lord and, and, and be above all reproach and be above all questioning, just live for God. Paul, in his ministry, people, the enemy would say things, but it's easy to say, well, let's go back. Let's look at it. Let's evaluate. If you're living for God and your testimony is right and pure with man and right and pure with God, the enemy can say those things, but it doesn't add up. And Paul, in verses 11 and 12, notice these statements in verse number 12. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Paul charges them here, and his encouragement is very simply, hey, live for God. Verse number 13, he says this, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when he received the word of God, which he heard of us, he received it not as the, man, the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I don't know where you're at in your own personal life, but I believe I'm speaking to an auditorium full of people who desire to have a personal life that makes an impact for Christ. I think deep down in the core of every single one of us, we want to do something great for God. The part you have to understand is that God's not going to hinder you from doing that. You will hinder yourself from being used of God. If God's calling you to do something, step out by faith and do it. If God has a personal ministry that He wants you to do, step out by faith and do it. If God has a person He wants you to share the gospel with, step out and share that gospel. Allow the Lord to use you. Allow the Lord to, to further all of what He could do in your life. But Paul says, hold up. Once again, the enemy is going to say this. Don't listen to the enemy. Walk with God. You know that we walked worthy. You know that we walked holy. You know that we were trying to be an encouragement. We came unto you. You testify. You'll find that every single time that you tried to work for God, the enemy will be present. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You ain't got to worry about the devil. God's greater than the devil. Trust God. Live for God. You want to have a personal ministry? Give your life to the Lord and surrender your all. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for the blessing. Lord, so many. Lord, there's no doubt in my mind that there are people here this morning who want to be used of God. But Lord, sometimes we get in our own way. Lord, sometimes we disobey and just say no. Sometimes we stray. 
Lord, sometimes our faith is weak. Lord, whatever the case may be, I believe every single one of us this morning wants to be used of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use us. Lord, that we'd be all in, that we'd be given. Paul was doing a great work, and his ministry was a great ministry that was used of the Lord. And he continuously pointed us to you, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Paul's excitement and love and joy and, uh, Lord, the ambition that he had and, Lord, the drive that he had. He was unwilling to waste time. And, Lord, he didn't have time to waste. And, Lord, he was always trying to share the, the gospel and the good news of Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that you'd help us to be an example. Lord, that when people looked at our own personal life, they'd say, man, that's a Christian that loves the Lord. Are they perfect? No, no one is. Man, God's hands on them. God desires to use them, and He is. I pray that our testimony would be a people that love you, that live for you, that are surrendered and all in, that are servants and disciples that just said yes to you. I pray that you'd help us. God us, direct us. Be with this invitation. We'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.